Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to a Monday, June 7th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. A lot to get to in this episode, including the fact that Ian LaPerriere has been now named as the head coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. To talk about that and much more, joining us right now from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. You read his work there. It is Bill Melter. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. How about yourself? I'm doing great. We're going to kind of look at uh, pieces of the core pieces of the roster, kind of grade them out from this past year, and prognosticate what the next year looks like for them. So for some, it may mean that they're not here, but uh, we're going to do that in this episode. But we got to get the headlines first because there's actually uh, a lot going on, not only uh, with the Flyers, but around the NHL. But let's start with the Flyers because uh, as uh, we're taping this, we just found out about a little over an hour ago that Ian LaPerriere has been named the new head coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. I don't think either of us are shocked by this news, but uh, what was your thoughts when it became official that uh, Lappy's going to get the helm of the bench uh, with the Phantoms? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Lappy, of course, had before that been a developmental coach in the organization when he when he retired for a number of years before he took the, the assistant role with the NHL club. But I mean, this this is his first head go- head coaching role, you know, at uh, at uh, a professional level or even at a junior level for that matter. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. Um, you know, I know he likes working with young players. He has a great rapport with the young players. You know, he knows, uh, he knows when to be tough on somebody. He knows when, uh, you know, he knows when to pick somebody up. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, it remains to be seen, you know, how, how effective he is as a head coach. Everybody has, you know, everybody has to have that first job and, and see how it goes, you know, possible, impossible not to like and to root for, um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people in the organization, young players and people, you know, different levels on the hockey side have a ton of respect for Ian. So, you know, I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Um, you know, see who's assistant coach is. I mean, there have been rumors that Terry Murray might be the guy and that would be his mentor coach to him. You know, that, that would make sense in that regard if it is Terry or a similarly experienced guy who has head coaching experience to work with him and work with, work with players. So, you know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm happy for Lappy. It's not a surprise because at the point that, uh, you know, it was announced that Scott Gordon would not be returning, that's kind of been the rumor all along. Yeah, it's kind of seemed like the next progression in his career. And um, any idea who fills the role on the Flyers bench now? That's a good question. You know, um, they have, I mean, they do have, they do have the spot, uh, you know, Lappy had been kind of the eye in the sky, come, come, also come down to the bench, um, you know, as that role has evolved. So, you know, they, they do have that spot available. I have not heard any particular names to fill that spot. Um, but, I mean, it, it could be, you know, sometimes they move the guy up the chain, you know, maybe from the developmental side onto, uh, you know, on into that kind of role. So that, you know, that's a possibility. It might come from within or, you know, they might not immediately fill it either, too. Again, I, I haven't heard any particular names associated with it so far. So Chris Stewart or, or, or Nick Schultz could be guys that could be considered for that role, I would assume. Right, yeah, and that's that's kind of the path that, that Lappy took from the developmental side, and Nick Schultz might make sense because I think he has long-term coaching ambitions. Yeah. Um. So you know, Schultz, Schultz might be a guy that that might that might do that, and they do have, you know, they 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 have quite a few guys on the developmental side. So if they move a guy from that path, that wouldn't really be a surprise either. Um, Bill, one of the other things um that's been been going on uh, with the NHL, of course, is. 
you know, this season of where we start to get more information about the teams that aren't in the playoffs, Flyers included, uh, about, you know, some, some of the roster decisions that they need to make. And Elliot Friedman reported uh, a week ago Saturday that uh, Seth Jones uh, would likely uh, want to get to free agency, uh, not sign an extension in Columbus, and therefore become a free agent. Columbus is then in a situation where they can't go into the final year of this player's deal after doing it on so many occasions and, and not getting anything in return, not to mention that Columbus is in a different situation now than they were when they had Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky, and they decided to do that. Uh, they're a team that, with losing Jones, is going to be probably in for a rebuild. A new coach is going to be coming in there as well. And uh, after Fried reported that on uh, NHL Network Radio, he appeared with uh, Scott Lachlan and Gord Stellick on uh, the NHL Morning Skate, and he had this to say. Let me read you the quote, uh, and I posted this on my Twitter. I said, he said, I'm sure he, meaning Seth Jones, would probably be very interested in going to a place like Dallas or Colorado because he's got attachments to those places, but I just don't know if I see the fit. The one team I worry, I wonder about right now is Philly. A, they can do it, and B, I wonder how Jones feels about that. That's one of the teams I look at right now and say, I would not be shocked at all if he ends up there. So when Elliot Friedman says something like that, um, we tend to, knowing Elliot and his work over the years, we know that he doesn't throw things out willy-nilly. He throws things out when he's got intel. And I don't mean a little intel for him to go that in depth. That usually is an indication that he's got really good intel that obviously the Flyers are interested and that uh, they have the package that could land the player. They have the situation where they could possibly extend the player. Um, so when you see that Fried report all of those things and say that, uh, what's kind of the first thing that you think of when, when you hear all of that kind of, you know, together? Well, uh, I mean, the number one thing I wonder about is, you know, is he amenable to an extension in Philadelphia? What, what it would take to acquire him? Now, there, there might be teams that would be willing to get into a rental situation with him. The Flyers, to me, are not the team. If the Flyers acquire him, they're looking to sign him long term. If he is if he is agreeable to that, and even though, even though you know, you might not get permission from Yarmo Kekalainen to talk to his agent ahead of, uh, you know, you, you still get you still get a pretty good intel as to whether you, you think you're going to be able to resign. Them. Wouldn't it benefit Yarmo to let the uh, potential suitor, at least some of the potential suitors, talk to him? Because that could get him, yield him a larger package. Yeah, it, it absolutely would. I mean, they're going to get a first round pick, I think, from even in a rental kind of situation. But yeah, then you get then you get full return if they can if they can talk to the agent ahead of time. But I mean, a, a lot of times it's, you know, I, maybe as you get close to a deal, they, they could, you know, they could contact the agent. But a lot of GMs don't do that. They, they don't they don't do that ahead of time. But I mean, there, there are still back channels. You can have a sense of whether this is a guy you're going to be able to extend or not. Yeah. I, you don't you don't make that trade unless you're comfortable. You're going to be able to extend. Um, so, you know, if the Flyers have that comfort level, then absolutely, you know, Absolutely, you're looking at a, at a. The Flyers have, you know, the Flyers have trade packages they can offer. You know, it would be probably, a, you know, my estimation is two NHL roster players plus a first round pick. You know, a forward, a defenseman, and a first round pick. I think the Flyers and and all and all fairly young too. So I, I think that that might be, you know, that kind of might might be kind of what uh, Columbus might be looking at to, you know, to move them and. Uh, you know, and certainly 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, again, it comes down to me. Are you, what teams, if they're looking at a rental, the, the thing, the thing is with, uh, you know, Jones that makes it a little bit complicated. I mean, uh, it makes it advantageous also from Columbus's standpoint is he's not making a ton of money this year. I mean, he's making like five, five million, So that that's that's something that the team for one year can you know carve out enough cap space to do. It's when you're getting up in the eight, eight and a half million range that it gets gets much harder. Um, so you know. You know, I I would think that it, as long as Jones is at least willing to talk about an extension, even if he doesn't do it this summer, maybe in season, you know, then then I think then you're looking at a at a multi suitor situation, and it's true. I think you're right that it does benefit Columbus. The more teams that they can play off of one another, then obviously the higher they they can drive the offer. Um, but I mean, I, I think that you and I and and others too. You know, when we were talking about Jones even heading into the offseason, first was a matter of, well, will he extend in Columbus? And he's all, that's already been answered as a no. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's game on. And I think the Flyers are, are very much in the mix to acquire him as long as it's not as a run. Uh, let's talk about what's happened over the past week since some of this information has come to light and what we've seen on social media. Is we do see if our fair share of Flyer fans saying, Ah, he's overrated. He's not that good. His analytics. And I think some of this is people that they read something and maybe they haven't made up their own mind. The, the, right. More of a casual type fan. And, you know, there's other people who are staunch believers in analytics and analytics is religion. It's not just a tool. Um, you know, part of this and in the last year or so has not been great analytically for him. We we see what that team is and. A lot of times, you know, a top-pairing defenseman in that situation will feel like they have to do more, and they try and do too much. And I'd say if you're going to look at that and and you're going to look at the player, then look at a player like Ivan Provorov two years ago when Matt Niskanen was here and look at how well he played. And then when they didn't have Matt Niskanen, they were a much poorer team, what he looked like. So if you're going to look at Jones through that lens, then look at your own through that lens as well. But the notion of, you know, he's not – the best available guy out there. And maybe he's not, maybe Dougie Hamilton does make it to free agency, but we don't know that there's a lot less certainty in that regard. Um, but you're kind of feeling on him as a player and a fit, because my feeling is this is a guy that can play equal minutes with Ivan Provorov, and there's not many of them available. He's 26 years of age. You're going to solve your problem and you're going to solve it for seven years. If you're able to extend him eight in theory, because he's got the final year of his deal coming so you're getting him from 26 essentially to 34, 35, which is his prime years. Uh, change of scenery. The Matt Niskanen, the year before he came here, had bad analytic numbers. Uh, I, I say to these people that go, I don't want him. I say, did your Zenith TV show you a different Flyers team this year than I saw? Because I yeah. saw a team that needs Seth Jones. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the, the go-to guy for – for analytics, particularly where the, the Flyers are concerned, is, is Charlie O'Connor. And I thought that Charlie were a really interesting piece looking at other analytics for uh, for Seth Jones, apart from the Corsi expected goals part of it. And he was looking at things like controlled exits and controlled entries. And even though even those numbers were down, they still weren't on a pretty bad Columbus team. And over, over the bulk of his career, he's been outstanding in those things. And if you look at the Flyers, how much trouble do they have you know, getting out of their zone cleanly or entering the offense, you know, 
offensive zone cleanly by a, by a pass, you know, from the from the forward from the defense of the forwards, you know, so you generate a clean entry off the rush or you know even a even a chip you know chip in and you're able to retrieve it, you know, which is a controlled entry of another type. I mean, the Flyers absolutely and in many different respects can use that kind of a player. Um, you know, as you said, the number of minutes he can play, the ability for him to play power play and penalty kill. You know, and and um, you know, playing tough matchups, a handed shot. I mean, it just he checks all the boxes, and um, you know, so I think uh, you know, I, I think even from a broader analytic standpoint, and not just the one or two that a lot of people hone in on on just those things. You know, I, I think that even though he was down a little bit, I think he I think he checks the box of what the Flyers need, and not just short term. But long term, I mean, you you, just, you can just look at that player's skill set and to say that you know they're just you know I mean, he's not overrated. He he's had some he's had some down numbers and a couple of the you know a couple of the indicators and, and how you slice and dice things and maybe an important indicator. But you know, I mean, if you if the Flyers can can land him, they are a much better team atop their blue line, and it also it also helps them you know um, situate their pairings. In the, in the similar kind of way, how Matt Niskanen did that too, because it makes some of the other matchups easier for other players. They can start in the offensive zone a little more frequently. They're seeing a little easier matchups, and then you know, and then suddenly the the burden on them becomes a little bit less. So I you know I think that uh, you know it would be it would be a game changer, you know. And it, yeah. and now mind you wouldn't you know mind you though that alone wouldn't be a you know work miracles, but we a big step in that process. They would still have some other moves they have to make. Figure out their cap and, and you know all, all those other things too, but I think that would be uh, the biggest piece of puzzle. Yeah, it, it's a significant move that puts the Flyers back in into the way that they were for so many years as a team. That when a big player is available, they're involved when they have that need, and they have the need. They have a player that uh, checks the box and checks many of the boxes, improves your PK, helps your power play. Uh, I mean, maybe able to unleash Provorov into more offensive elements of his game and, and Provorov may be able to unleash Jones into, you know, he, he played a lot of times with Warinsky, who's a good offensive player. Uh, but, you know, the, the compliment, the way those two could complement each other could be could be stunning. And it, it could answer that question and, and fill that need for multiple years, not a Band-Aid, uh, but a fix uh, for the Flyers for a long time. And, and, and back to the original point, too, you know, when Frege says that on NHL Network Radio, let's be honest, we know Frege. He's yeah. saying that with knowledge that this is a distinct possibility. So I hope people can wrap their head around that. I don't want you to get excitement, excited and think that the player is coming here and that's a done deal. It's not. Uh, there's a lot of elements to do in that regard. But um, it, this isn't just a where there's smoke, there's fire. There's intelligent smoke here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Um, uh, let's talk about real quick uh, the Rangers hiring Gerard Gallant to be their head coach. Uh, I know uh, Rick Tockett, former Flyer, has interviewed multiple places, including with the Rangers and Buffalo, uh, but they end up uh, landing on Gerard Gallant. Is this a good hire for them? He, he's gotten off to a flying start at a couple of places, but unfortunately didn't get to see it through long term. Yeah, and uh, I, I think in terms of the initial bump, absolutely, 100%. I mean, he's a he's a very good coach. I mean, if you, if you look at what he did in, in Vegas, that was uh, – you know, I mean, that was one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen. I mean, he got them, you know, they developed an identity right off the bat. And, uh, you know, of course, he got them to a, a cup final in their first year. I mean, he's, you know, 
he's one of the best in the business. Now, whether there's diminishing returns as to, you know, how he gets along with management or, you know, or the, the analytics side, I know he, uh, you know, he's, he can be a critic of that at times, but whatever, whatever, but whatever, you know, whatever the case might be long-term, I think for the Rangers to take the, the next step. And I mean, Quinn was a good coach too, and he did a good job there. I, I think they actually overachieved the last couple of seasons. So, you know, but I think for a team to take the next step with what they have, with a young core that they have, um, you know, as well as obviously guys like Panarin still in their prime. I mean, I think that it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big hire, you know, I mean, he's a guy that a lot of, a lot of teams uh, with vacancies that have interest in. So, you know, I think that that's a big get for the Rangers. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was doing another podcast as a guest, the OMB podcast, and they said this could be a crazy offseason. I said, yeah, it's going to be a crazy offseason. Just the pent-up demand of moves that didn't happen and resetting of rosters last year. I said, just look at the division. I mean, Carolina with Brindamore and Dougie Hamilton, huge questions there, right? Now you have that question answered about who's going to coach the Rangers. You also have the questions in regards to Washington. Alexander Ovechkin's a free agent. He's going to resign there. Yeah. But what are they going to do in net? Because net's off is a big question mark there. Are they fed up with his crap, right? And Samsonov, was he good enough? And how are they going to, are they going to try and go back to Lundqvist if, if he wants to come back and, and play one year more in, in this league? What are they going to do in goal? You look at teams like uh, the Devils. Are they going to start to push more chips into the middle of the table with cap space? You look in the conference at Eichel being available, Seth Jones in the division available, and, and all of these variables. Pittsburgh gets bounced out because Jari couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line. Yep. You know, all of these questions heading into this offseason, not to mention what Toronto is going to do. Taylor Hall, is he going to stay in Boston? Like, this yep. is going to be an insane offseason with an expansion draft. And not to mention Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier are heading into the last years of their deal as Flyers. No, like, I, I wow. <laughs> and you're looking at another, you know, at least one more year of a flat cap before it might potentially expand again. Yeah. So every, everybody's in the same situation, but there's, there's going to be – you know, some contract inflation on, on some key players within a year or so. So, yeah, I mean, there are huge decisions to make. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you always have the rumors. I actually think you might see, you know, a combination of a hockey trade slash figuring out, you know, working in the cap space just because you have to. And um, yeah. I, I think you're going to see some player movement this offseason. It'll be, you know, really, really interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, look at Calgary. Like, I, I, they've probably said enough's enough here. We got to do something different because we're 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 into that. I mean, the Flyers are too. They're in this position of pretender, contender. What about what are we? We finished the top of the second place team in the conference, and then you know we don't make the playoff. Like, what are we doing here? We got a new coach. You know, it, I think there's so many fascinating storylines, and there's a dearth. There's a ton of them, and I think this fa- this off season is going to be fascinating. And, you know, I, I, you know, just, just one of the examples as, as we're talking here, like, you know, uh, Toronto to me still has the issue of they have, I think, 37 and a half million in cap space tied up in four players. Yeah. You know, 30, 30 million forwards. In <laughs> uh, and, and 37 and a half once you figure in Nylander. I mean, yeah, I, it was an amazing stat that this year, and there had to be one. The first time it seems that a player was 10 million in the cap to win a playoff series had to be because Montreal had one, Toronto had three, so someone was going to be the first to do it. Um, but I, I think Toronto has the same issue. You have almost half of your cap tied up in, tied up in four players, and three of them are centers. 
there. I guess Marner plays wing, you know, but you know, but he was initially a center. But at, at any rate, they have uh, they have an awful lot tied up up front uh, on the top of the lineup. And you know, a guy like Zach Hyman, they're probably not going to be able to resign. He's going to be in demand. Where's he going to land? I mean, you know, I it's just uh, you know, it, it's fascinating just in terms of not you know the immediate strategy, but also also the long term, particularly when you have a team that's been balanced in the first round a few straight years. You continue to run the same group out there again and hope for a different result, or do you do you change around the core a little, a little bit, at least at least one piece? I mean, it's uh, you know there there may be a surprise move, but you're not necessarily Toronto, but you know just just a couple of guys you wouldn't figure might be moved might be moved this offseason. Yeah, and that that's where roster construction comes in, right? Like you can have all yeah. this talent and and they do. I mean, they have it, and you can win games six to four and and 5-3 in the regular season, but that, that doesn't equal playoff success. It's one of the things I talked to Brent Flair about. You know, being the best team in the regular season doesn't mean anything if you get bounced in the first round five straight years. You have to be a team that's built to win in the playoffs. I'd rather be the third-place team in the, my division, make the playoffs, and go on be a team that can win in the playoffs as opposed to being a President's Trophy or the t- number one seed in, in the division. It doesn't matter if I get bounced in the playoffs. Absolutely, and, and just, just, you know, I mean, just the – you know, just the construct of advancing in the playoffs versus the regular season. I mean, you know, I, I was saying this to somebody the other day. You know, you could, you know, you, you could go, what, 16 and 12 in the playoffs to be the Stanley Cup champion. If yeah. you're off, you know, if, if you're 16 and 12 in the regular season, you're worried, you know, you're worried about winning a wild card or getting in the playoffs. It's just a, it's a whole different construct in, in, that, in that best of seven series. It, you know, it doesn't matter if it goes, if it goes seven games, you just have to be the first one of four wins. And yeah. it just, uh, you know, when you when you get in, you know, you, you have teams that just kind of sneak into the playoffs and become very dangerous teams to play against. And, I mean, New Jersey was that kind of team for years. You know, nobody wanted to play Jersey in the playoffs, no matter where they finished in the division. You know, and, um, you know, I, I, we've seen a lot with Montreal in these playoffs. The same They played the Flyers so tough in the playoffs last year after – barely squeaking in and that was only because of the expanded format you know and, and here you know here they were the fourth place team in the weakest division and you know uh, at least the weakest team in terms of the drop off after you know the on paper drop off after the top two teams you know and, and here they are you know taking care of business in the playoffs just because of the the amount of speed that they bring the carry price factor and and just how aggressive they've been in, in uh, you know in attacking the puck, uh, particularly you know the, the forechecking side of it. There it seems like they're always in somebody's face. So it's uh, you know they they might not have a ton of regular season success, might not have scored a ton of goals, yet all of a sudden they become in the playoffs a very dangerous opponent. And that's 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 the case every year. There's there are always teams like that. Yeah, as the game changes into playoff hockey, it's a different game, it, and, yeah. and you got to be built to handle that and. The carry price factor is real. Shea Weber becomes even a bigger piece of the equation. Corey Perry had another goal, you know, and you get those kind of, kind of what, kind of what Toronto was hoping to get from guys like Joe Thornton and guys like Wayne Simmons, and they didn't, and it, it led to them getting bounced in the first round. But let's look at the goalies in this episode. We're going to kind of do this as a three parter. I was going to do it as a two parter, but this is going to be part one. Let's just look at the goalies, grade them out, and uh, kind of see where they go from here. And we have three goalies, really four to talk about. Maybe even five at this point. Uh, but let's start with Carter Hart. Um, w- when you look at his season, and obviously his surroundings are, are a big part of the equation here, 
but how would you grade him out on the season uh, despite the surroundings and how he handled the situation? Yeah, I mean, if you had to put a letter grade on it, I think you'd give it a D. Yep. Um, I, it might have been an F, but it looked like in, in, in April he was starting to pull things back together again. You know, I think I think early in the season he he played better than his numbers overall. Really, really his games against Boston early in the season. We, if you remember, at as of the point through uh, Lake Tahoe, he had just just awful, just catastrophically bad numbers against Boston. Uh, of he which had I think no, a set of numbers are, against everybody but Boston that were great. <laughs> and right, exactly. And then then in, in March he struggled against every, really struggled against everybody. And then in and then in April he started pulling things back together again. Even even against Boston, you know, there were there was that game that was a you know there was an overtime loss at home where uh, Pasternak had a hat trick and nobody was stopping any of those goals. I mean, it was just uh, he was left wide open in point blank range, point blank range three times. I mean, he's going to score on you, you know, <laughs> uh, you know each of those times. Even and then there, there was a game in Boston where the Flyers had a three goal lead. Actually, had a Actually had a shutout for two periods. The first start in Boston, and uh, he let in one. To, I think it was Charlie Coyle that he probably should have stopped. The other ones that period were really nobody was stopping, and then he ends up losing in a shootout. And then his second start against Boston was a really rough one. That was the game he, he was pulled in, he, or he wasn't pulled, but he broke. It was the game where he broke his stick over the crossbar. Yeah, and um, you know, got and okay, short side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the you know the uh, the Lake Tahoe game where he didn't play well, but it was also a rough game for goalies in general because Rask really wasn't very good in that game either. It just was a inhospitable game for goalies. Hard to track pucks, just you know, just just uh, rough circumstances. And then and then in March, I mean, you know, he get he he really you could see he was in his own head. You know, he yeah. was off his angles. He was you know getting beaten glove side frequently. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, his March numbers were just disastrous. And, uh, you know, Elliot's weren't much better, but, I mean, Hart was under under 80% for that month. I mean, you know, those aren't even professional numbers over an extended stretch. So, you know, but then I think in April he started to get things back together again. Actually, one of his best starts of the season was his final start of the season. The uh, the shootout went in Pittsburgh, and then he didn't, didn't play again the rest of the season. So, you know, I, I think you take his overall body of work, um, you know, I, I want to see, I want to see when he doesn't have a lot of practice time, which was a factor. We remember, remember in, in 2019, 20, um, we were talking about his discrepancy between his home and his road numbers because his home numbers were world-class. He would have won the Vezina with those, with anything close to that on the road. And he broke Bernie Perron's home save percentage record, second to Bernie in home goals against average, his home winning percentage was you know, outstanding. And then on the road until very late in the season, he struggled. And part of it was that, you know, at home, he was able to stay into his practice routine, you know, et cetera. And in the road, that's, you don't get that opportunity as much, you know? So I want to see that, that home road consistency that he had really prior to being a pro. And even, even that first half season, the NHL, where his numbers on the road were slightly better than at home. But I mean, you know, we saw what he could do in the playoffs. I mean, I'm I'm not worried long term that he's going to be fine, but I think it's important, particularly that he gets off to a strong start, um, carries that through the first you know early weeks of the season. If he gets pulled in a game and doesn't happen again shortly thereafter, you know, just just make sure he's okay. You know, just make yeah. sure he's mentally right, 
mechanically right. And I think everybody will exhale. Um, you know, I think part of what they have to do in the off season though, is they do have to go in with a plan. If you do need a one, a one B and Carter's not going to give you 60 starts, you have to have a, a, another goalie that can, you know, that can share almost an equal load if that's what you need. But I, but I think in terms of confidence level, I think Carter will be fine. Yeah. I, I think he rebounds. And, and again, you bring up a great point. If he gets pulled in the game, what happens after? If he gets pulled to say, you know, the season starts first week of October. If he gets pulled November second in a yeah. game, uh, he gets touched up. The, the environment's not great. Whatever the circumstances, he just plays poorly. How he responds to that, and in, in the past, he's responded to that, and the team responded to that very well. Um, that wasn't the case this past season. The team and and he did not respond well in in kind. So we'll see about that part of it. And um, I, I'm not worried about him either. I think uh, the adversity can do him good, and we've seen we've talked about it. We saw Carey Price at 22 go through the same thing. Mark Andre Fleury did, Vasilevsky did to some extent as well even though he was kind of in tandem with Ben Bishop at that time in Tampa, and he's the best goalie in the world right now. So it, it's nothing new for a goalie to go through this. Um, it would almost be more odd for them not to go through it in some ways. But um, I, I think that whole rebound, I think his next season will be far different from this past one. And again, provided um, that they improve his environment, and that's going to be a big part of the equation as well and, and how they handle you know, whether it's Seth Jones or, or someone else to, to be on that top pair and, and round out that decor and, and become more responsible and play the game the right way. I think it's a big part of the equation. Uh, Brian Elliott will be moving on. I think we can assume that. Um, but a couple of the other goalies, uh, Felix Sandstrom is a guy, uh, Samuel Urson, who they just uh, signed to his contract. And uh, the other part of it is uh, Kirill Ustomenko. Uh, none of these goalies, uh, I would imagine are the backup to Carter Hart this coming year. We've talked about it, whether it's a Corpusalo type or a James Reimer type uh, to be his tandem mate at the NHL level. Uh, but how do you see this breaking down for the Phantoms? Have we seen the last of Alex Lyon as a Phantom? And is it going to be an Ursan uh, Ustamenko situation and Sandstrom uh, playing in the ECHL? How's that play out with those three? Oh, I, I think that uh, Sandstrom, I actually think Sandstrom might enter next year as the starter. For the Phantoms, I mean, at least a chance to be that. Finished strong. Yeah, he finished very strong. Um, his final, I think, eight to ten starts were, were pretty good after a rough start and a rough first season and some injury issues. Yep. I mean, this is this is a critical year for him. He's a restricted free agent this summer. He'll get a qualifying offer and he'll be, you know, and I would assume that he, you know, he'll resign and continue pushing towards the NHL. And this is a big year if he's ever going to be an NHL goalie to to show what he can do. Um, you know, but I, but I think that he'll be at least in a split time, maybe in a starters role, you know, for the, uh, for the Phantoms heading in, um, Arizona, you know, Arizona is a really talented goalie. He's, uh, he may not be as, as athletically naturally gifted as, uh, as Sandstrom, but I mean, his, his actual performance numbers in Sweden are better than Sandstrom's ever were. Um, you know, he, uh, he did well as the starter for Sweden in the World Juniors. Uh, you know, when he um, – that year, he was loaned down a level from the SHL to what they call Svenskan, which is the their top minor league. And, you know, not only did he win goalie of the year and rookie of the year, he won league MVP honors too that year. Uh, and, you know, I mean, really put his name on the map. And then he had kind of a – you know, he, he moved up to the SHL level. Had some ups and downs, but he looked like he belonged at that level. And then this year, you know, this is why you can't always go by goalie numbers. The team he played in front of was terrible. I mean, you know, 
one of the two worst teams in the league. And he he, he had respectable numbers with no help in front of him. Yeah, uh, they, record was 16 and 16 and 26 this season and he right. had a 910 save percentage. Right. And and that was that was with no help. That was being left out to dry quite frequently. I mean, they would have been relegated to the lower leagues as they have in, you know, as they have in Europe, but for their goaltender. And so, you know, Arison will come over. He's still very young, so there's not not a rush. Uh, I would think he starts with the Phantoms, you know, and and pushes Sandstrom for time. Um, the thing with Ustamenko is he's a, he's a real wild card because, you know, he came over very young. I mean, he turned 20 early in the season. You know, he was still only 19 in training camp. Um, started with the started with Reading in the ECHL and had a lot of success, you know, at the ECHL level. So much so that he was moved up to to Reading ahead of Sandstrom, which was not expected. And then he then he struggled as you might expect him to, and you know, his first AHL action was touched up a little bit and then he missed this whole past season with a with hip surgery. So, you know, where he is right now, hard to say, you know, I think he may go back to the ECHL at least to start, get, get a number of, you know, get a number of starts and playing time. You may even see guys go up and down. You may see, you know, he may come up for a couple games with the Phantoms and you might see uh, Erson go down to, to Reading just to get some games in. I mean, the ECHL is, uh, you know, as it's a good place for goalies to get some work that they need. And the thing is, and and Scott Gordon has said this, of course, he's a former goalie. He's like, shooters are shooters. And in some ways, it's harder to play goal, you know, in the lower levels because because things are so unstructured in front of you. Yeah. Breakdowns are liable to happen. And, you know, you might face, uh, you know, you might face more quality chances you might see in an AHL game or certainly in an NHL game just because the caliber of the defense in front of you is yep. lower. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have guys in the ECHL, you know, the problem isn't their hands in some cases, right? They might be a stride slow. They might not be two-way players. They might be lacking this or that. But they have guys who can put the puck in the net, particularly if you, you know, give them prime shooting areas. So it's, you know, the, it's really it's really about putting in the work and the minutes and um, showing how you progress, you know, technically, emotionally, you know, right on down the line, right? How you play the angles, how you play the puck. You know, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think you might see you might see something like that, where you might see uh, Ustamenko get a little time and Erickson a little time. But I, I, I would I would imagine that Ustamenko would primarily be in the ECHL, and you know, maybe maybe that switches over the course of the season. But I, but I don't think any guy is imminent for the the NHL among those three. You know, maybe Sandstrom another year down the line if he plays really well. If you're looking at another, you know a one, two-year situation with an NHL goalie. And, and I'll put this out there, too. Um, and then not that anybody they would draft would be instantly NHL ready. Don't be totally shocked if the best available player at 13, if the Flyers keep the pick, is a goal. Yeah. Um, because Brett seemed both, to hint at that when I talked to him last week. Yeah. Well, look at Bob McKenzie. He had, uh, you know, he had Wallstead, the Swedish goalie. Mm-hmm. Right, ten, uh, you know, McKean's who has some prospects, or you know, who has who has, who has some people there that are plugged in. They had him number four. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, draft wide, yeah, you know, and uh, you know, this is not an especially deep draft. So the top end of it. Uh, so once you get out where the flyers are, unless you know, unless somebody really had up high slips toward you uh, unexpectedly, um, 
you know, like, like for example, when I you know I like McTavish quite a bit, but I don't think he's going to get out of the top 10. Well, let's say McTavish is still up there at 13. To me, he's the guy you, you run to the podium and well, not run to the podium because you're doing remotely, but you, but you, you know, you, you take him, you know, um, but it wouldn't shock me if a guy like Wall said is the best available player at 13 and you can never have too much depth in the system anyway. So I wouldn't totally rule out the Flyers taking, taking a goalie at 13. Yeah, I could just imagine social media meltdown when that happens. Oh, I know. Boy. <laughs> Ooh, man, uh, not only that, but, um, you know, the other part of that is I don't think they're going to be picking at 13, to be honest with you. No, I, I think I think there's a very good chance that pick gets moved. Yeah. But, but if they pick 13, either they – maybe they trade down a couple spots at that point. Or, again, yeah. if, you know, if most of the guys you figure going in the top 10 – are off the board by the time the 13th comes up and the goalie's still on the board, that might become your best available player. So I just, I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility if they pick in that spot. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Get fan base, consider yourself forewarned. All right. <laughs> so process that information. It's not because they don't like Carter. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just get that out there now. Uh, that was a great preview of the goaltenders. And uh, next time uh, we convene, Bill, we'll, we'll take a look at the D. We're working from the crease out as uh, all organizations should. Work from the crease out. And uh, we'll take a look at the D. We'll grade them and uh, get a look at uh, prognostication there. And then we'll also do the same with uh, the core forwards as well. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Another episode coming up on Wednesday. And Ian LaPerriere, the new coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, will join us on Wednesday's episode. So we'll talk to the head coach of the Phantoms and uh, to get his uh, sense on everything. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you in the next episode of Flyers Day.